Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another episode of IT Pro TV. I'm your host, Don Pizzette, here with a very special episode of the IT Pro TV podcast. You guys have heard me talk about Whitewood Security before. Uh, I had a chance to interview them at RSA two years in a row now, and they've got an amazing product. I've, I've been dying to have a chance to sit down with them and, and kind of do a, a deeper dive than the, the kind of conference coverage that we normally do. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have uh, Richard Mould available on the line with us. He's uh, remote via Skype. I, I couldn't get him here in the studio with me. But uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Whitewood Security, about their products, and, and about the, the problem that they solve, which I think is a really important one, and it's one I, I know I'm excited about. So, uh, so please join me in welcoming uh, Mr. Richard Mould into the show. And, and Richard, thanks for joining us. Hi, Don. It's a pleasure. It's nice to um, nice to chat without the background of a trade show behind us. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we normally have the big crowds and we have a, a limited window of time to talk. And so now we've got this, this nice opportunity to sit down and, and really explore what, uh, what I named the, the most exciting thing that I saw at RSA 2016. And even at RSA 2017, I didn't really see anything that that jumped out as amazing and new, but your product still kind of shine true. And, and you've actually introduced some new stuff that, that we definitely want to cover. So so thanks for joining us and and uh, giving us the time to, to talk about your product. Sure, welcome. All right, so the first thing that I want to talk about, though, before we get into any of the product stuff, is, is let's talk about the problem, right? And the problem here all centers around entropy. So tell us, uh, for, for the viewers that have, have never heard of all this stuff before, so tell us a little bit about uh, you know, what entropy is and why we should be concerned about it on our systems. So, so entropy is one of these words that people remember from their, um, from their high school, you know, physics lessons. And uh, it means lots of different things. But in the context that we're talking about here, it really means uncertainty. And it's the, effectively the measure of randomness. So when you think about generating random numbers, uh, the difference between a truly random number and a less than random number or a more predictable number is the level of entropy. So you would like to think that an 8-bit number, for example, has 8 bits of entropy. There really are you know, 256 combinations of that number. If there are less than 256 combinations, then there's less than perfect entropy. So you know, if you think of a, um, of a loaded dice, um, the fact that it's loaded means that it, it does not have uh, high entropy. If it had high entropy, it would be a fair dice and would roll you know, one through six with equal probability. Now, when we talk about entropy in terms of computers, you know, it's not that we need random data for, you know, writing a Word document, but we do use random data a lot, especially when it comes to dealing with, with encryption, which is more and more commonly a part of our regular workflow. And to do good encryption, to have good random numbers, you have to start with a good pool of entropy, right? So we, we leverage this in Anytime we visit a secure website, anytime we do SSH for a tunnel or a VPN tunnel, for that matter, I mean, this is used really all over the place, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you um, if you measure the amount of random numbers that are consumed, even on a laptop or a phone or a server, you know, it's it's megabits per second, and on a very high speed e-commerce server that's you know conducting maybe a thousand SSL connections a second, you know, it's a tremendous amount of random numbers. So every application uses random numbers, even operating systems use random numbers for really boring things like allocating memory space. So the same application doesn't write to the same location over and over. Um, it doesn't really matter if those numbers aren't particularly random. But as you say, uh, crypto applications, things that are generating encryption keys or signing keys, uh, authentication keys, certificates, you know, that sets the bar for, for real randomness. So those applications need provably random numbers from which they can generate cryptographic keys. 
Uh, and as you say, something like SSL encryption, TLS on the internet, um, database encryption, file encryption, um, PKI signatures, uh, SSH connections, all of those things require uh, session keys and those session keys are generated you know, on the fly, uh, typically in the application based on random numbers that are provided by the operating system. You know, operating systems like Linux um, have standard um, API calls for, um, for random numbers. Some people perhaps are familiar with dev random and dev u random. They're, um, the, I guess, the two sort of stock uh, sources of random numbers uh, in Linux. Um, so, you know, what gets interesting is, you know, well, how good are the random numbers in Linux and therefore how good are the keys that are being used to actually encrypt your data? You know, this, this seems like a, a sort of noodly subject. It's, it's something perhaps that a lot of people take for granted, even, you know, even security pros might take for granted. But if you stand back and you think about it, uh, IT security these days pretty much depends on cryptography. You know, encryption is a mandated component in terms of data protection. You know, we're all trying to get away from the password and start to use digital credentials. So almost every security application relies on crypto. Crypto relies on keys uh, and keys rely on random numbers. So I think it's worth standing back and asking the question, you know, if we're going to depend on crypto so much, um, how on earth can we detect whether or not these keys are any good? Because if they're not, then they become guessable. And, uh, you know, the problem with cryptography is, you know, it's sort of an all or nothing technology. You know, it's it's not like firewalls where, you know, something might get through, something might not get through. With encryption, if the keys are secret, then you're generally safe. If the key's not a secret, the game's up. You know, it's sort of all or nothing. So asking questions about how, how guessable these keys are, uh, I think becomes pretty fundamental. Yeah, and, and this isn't just, uh, you know, like a scare tactic, right? There there are actual exploits. There's been uh, demonstrable exploits that people have been able to anticipate the, you know, pseudo random numbers generated by a system and, and leverage that to attack something. If you can anticipate what that key is going to be before it's even generated, that's a, a real problem. And, you know, you mentioned um, uh, slash dev slash random and slash dev slash you random. I think right there, just the fact that those two exist indicates a problem. And, and for those of you that aren't familiar with it, the the standard random number generator that's a part of Linux, well, I shouldn't say standard, because there's actually several different ones you can use, but almost universally, they're linked to these two entities, slash dev slash random, which is a blocking random number generator, and slash dev slash u random, which is a non-blocking random number generator. And the, the difference between blocking and non-blocking, when, when you talk about blocking, you go to generate a random number, it uses the pool of entropy to, to calculate out what that random number is going to be in and provide it. And if there's not enough entropy, it will stop. It'll block. It'll wait while more entropy is generated. And in a normal system uh, that's using hardware, it's generating that entropy from, it can be anything, uh, mouse clicks, uh, keyboard touches, or even mouse scrolling, uh, CPU cycles. There's all sorts of stuff it can use to generate that entropy, which is sometimes random, sometimes pseudo-random. But if it's blocking and you're waiting for that entropy to be generated, your software stops. Your software takes longer to run, right? It slows things down. So U-random throws caution to the wind and says, all right, we're going to give up a little security and we're going to do as best we can at generating that random number, but it's in an attackable form at that point. So U-random is really kind of dangerous. Would you agree, Richard? I mean, it's a safety measure. You know, the folks that the folks that curate Linux, um, I think, did the did a, did a smart thing. They said, um, 
let's have two random number generators. And as you say, let's let's have one be always available. Um, and let's have the other one only be available if Linux thinks it has enough randomness available to actually make the number random. Um, it's a logical idea, and you would like to think that every developer would use dev random, the blocking one, um, and take advantage of that safety valve. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're doing an encryption application or something that involves you know, critical information, critical infrastructure, you know, valuable intellectual property, privacy information, whatever, you know, you'd like to think that that application wouldn't actually do the job if the system couldn't be provably random. But of course, you know, life's never quite like that. You know, developers and applications can't be sitting around waiting for entropy to be gathered. If you're a web server, you can't be sitting there saying, sorry, I can't conduct this transaction because I don't have enough mouse clicks. That's not that's not going to be acceptable. So, uh, you know, in almost all cases, developers use uh, debut random because it's the one that's always going to be there. You know, it's um, the analogy I use sometimes is, you know, it's like having two taps in your kitchen. One's always going to give drinking water, but it might be dry or drip. The other tap's always going to gush water, um, but it might not be drinkable. You know, <laughs> if you if you if you were taking a shower, that'd be no problem. You know, but if you're mixing a cocktail, then you'd probably want to use the tap that might only be dripping, and you know that's the problem. So you know, a lot of developers, a lot of DevOps people uh, use DevU random and you know, run the risk that they're essentially, you know, drinking poison to quench their thirst. So, um, it, you know, and it, but it serves as a useful test because you can, you know, if you look in your, if you look in Linux and you try to pull a number from dev random and you don't get much of a response, then that's telling you that there's not much entropy in the system. And, uh, you know, as you said, um, you know, that entropy is being gathered from lots of sources like mouse clicks and hard drives and, and network collisions and all the rest of it. You know, none of those signals, of, of course, in themselves are perfectly random. You know, your mouse movements are not random, much as you, much as it might feel like they are, you know, on a Monday morning. Um, but if you add enough of these sources together, then you get to something that approaches randomness. Problem is, when you move to a virtual machine, if you put this, your applications up in the cloud, all of a sudden there's no users and there's no keyboards and there's no hard drives and there's no mice. So there's not a lot of entropy, and I think that um, you know creates essentially a conflict that's getting worse every day. More and more of our applications are using cryptography uh, and therefore consuming randomness. But more often, we're running our applications in environments like a virtual machine, like in containers, like in clouds. You know, even on IoT devices, uh, where there's not much randomness. So I think we're. Uh, in, in some ways, this situation is getting worse every day. You know, we just the, the demand for random numbers is going up, but the supply of entropy sadly is going down. I'm um, I'm glad you brought up virtual machines because uh, you know when we think of uh, dev random and dev u random, you could easily say, all right, I'm just not going to use dev u random. I want to use dev random, and things will go slower, but I'll get that guaranteed uh, uh, randomness. But when you're in a virtual machine, even dev random oftentimes is not what you want it to be, right? Because it's it's on a virtualized infrastructure. It doesn't have that hardware. And I can I can show you a quick example here just on, on my own laptop. So here I am on, on my laptop, and this is running, um, let's say I think I'm on Ubuntu 17.04 or something like that. Um, and if I just do a uh, rngd-v, uh, what we can do is we can pull it up and, and see where I've got the uh, DRNG, which is the deterministic random number generator, and I've got Intel AMD hardware 
random number generator. So Intel has that built into the CPU where it's it's able to use that hardware to generate the random number generator. But if I were to jump over to a virtual machine, like here I've got a, a Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7 uh, VM running on uh, VMware Workstation. And if I jump into a terminal on this one, actually, let me get a bigger terminal. There we go. And I'll do the, the same thing, right? And take a look at that random number generator. And I'll see that it's just using the deterministic random number generator and not using any hardware acceleration because it's just not there or there's no hardware functionality, not, not even acceleration. There's just no functionality there. So the random numbers that are being generated by this machine are not going to be as trustworthy as the ones uh, or not as, as provably random. Can, can you prove randomness? <laughs> so it's not as good as what's going on on the other side. That's, not, that's an interesting conversation. Some would say that's the philosophical point, whether you can prove randomness or not, because, uh, you know, randomness is the absence of information. So to prove a number's random means you're trying to prove it has no information, which is and proving a negative, proving something doesn't exist, you know, is arguably impossible. Um, you know, there are some, there's some test suites for trying to do so, but uh, um, they're, they're by no means, um, you know, foolproof. Yeah, but you, you, know, you make a good point, Don. You know, the, the uh, you know, it's interesting that random number generation, because it relies on this, this mysterious, you know, quantity of entropy, um, the quality of an application's ability to get access to random numbers depends on a lot of factors. It depends on the OS and the functionality of the OS and the configuration of the OS. It relies on the hardware, whether or not it has these, uh, these, these hardware entropy sources that you mentioned, for example, from Intel. And it relies on the physical environment, whether or not there's a user there, you know, whether or not there's a, a mouse being clicked. So whereas from an application developer's point of view or from a DevOps point of view, it doesn't matter in most cases whether you're running your application on a box in your basement, you know, or in a in a EC2 instance up in Amazon. In most regards, um, apart from when it comes to random numbers, because the entire stack, you know, from environment to hardware to OS to hypervisor, you know, all those layers affect the system's ability to generate a good random number, and that becomes the problem. Is, is you could you can develop your application running on one stack and everything's fine. You know, then the DevOps guy moves it somewhere else, and suddenly, you know, there is no hardware function. Suddenly, the hypervisor is blocking entropy. Suddenly, there's no no user, you know, no no mouse click. So, what seemed like a secure implementation on your desk ends up being an insecure implementation uh, in production. And the downside is the real what really makes this insidious, I think, is that you can't retrospectively test for it. You know, if I had, if you had two of these servers on your desk and one had a weak RNG and one had a strong RNG, just by looking at the output, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, which was which. So in some ways, that's what makes, um, in, in many ways, a weak RNG, almost an attack of choice. You know, you talked about, you know, vulnerabilities, um, and there have certainly been a, a litany of poor implementations over the years, but there's also been a fairly, you know, fairly large number of, of scary stories about RNGs being weakened explicitly to create backdoors that are undetectable by anybody other than the person that created them. So there's a there's a dark side to RNG weakening as well as just you know complexity and inconsistency about how they're implemented and how they actually you know work on any given piece of hardware. So I, I'm going to apply what what sounds like an oxymoron here, but uh, what we really need is a way to get consistent random randomness and those are two words that we wouldn't normally stick together but in this case we <laughs> we need a way to generate random numbers 
that is consistent across all of our stacks. So if I have virtual machines, if I have physical machines, if I have uh, Dell servers and HP servers, if I have different operating systems, I, I need a way to consistently generate randomness that is reliable, that is you know known to be truly random or as close to random as we can get. And it really doesn't matter which deterministic system we use. If we use any of those, we, we can't get that guarantee. We can't get that consistency, right? And, and so that's that's really what, what Whitewood is formed around is this idea that you guys have a solution that does that, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you keep using this phrase, deterministic um, random number generator, which is the phrase that standards body, but excuse me, standards bodies use, and it's a weird phrase because it, you know, deterministic random number generator that seems like an oxymoron. You know, why on earth would you need something? Why would you want a deterministic random number generator? And of course, that's you know, it's that's a technical name. You know, the re in reality, you you take these DRBGs and then you reseed them with entropy. Um, uh, and and particularly in the virtual world, you know when you're when you're replicating virtual machines, if you've got a golden image and you're copying these machines across a virtual environment, then of course all these machines are actually perfectly synchronized because all the random number generators are all copies of themselves. So the issue, the speed with which you can reseed these things on a, on a potentially a large scale becomes a big deal. So that really plays to the consistency issue. You know, if you if you, you think of yourself as a security officer, you know, and somebody comes to you and says. You know, hey, our, our encryption is all secure, right? You know, the security officer is dying to say yes, um, but the reality is that in encryption in the enterprise is happening you know, in hundreds of different types of places: laptops, phones, networking gear, you know, up in different clouds, down in the basement, on a mainframe, goodness knows where. And the reality is that security officer has has no idea how good any of those instances are at both generating randomness or and even consuming randomness. Um, you know, if you buy some commercial database encryption software, for example, how would you even know whether it was using dev random or debut random, for example? So, yeah, so what we try to do is we try to essentially deliver slugs of entropy, you know, entropy on demand. We stream entropy over the network um, to basically anything that needs it, whether it's a VM or a container or an IoT device or a laptop or a phone. Um, I think an example that I, I often use is... Um, is like network time protocol. You know, you'd like to think that all of the applications in your enterprise could all agree on the time of day. Uh, but the reality is, of course, unless you did something to make sure they agreed, then they would totally disagree. You know, the days of us setting the time on our servers and the time on our cell phones and our laptops you know, is thankfully long gone. Now we have a network time protocol that delivers time signals to basically everything in the enterprise so they all agree on time. So you can't trust something to know the time of day. So you're a central source of time. And, and the same argument applies to entropy. You can't trust something to generate enough entropy. So you have a central source of entropy, which acts as a supplementary source to various endpoints and devices. You know, we're not trying to be the, the sole source of entropy. That would be, you know, far too risky. No, but we're a supplementary source that supplements whatever local entropy uh, will exist on each of those devices. Think of it like a like a vitamin supplement or a vitamin supplement, I guess you should say in the US. You, know, we're, uh, we, we, you give all your kids vitamin C, you don't know what their vitamin C levels are on any given day and at a given point in time. You just know that it's important they have enough vitamin C, so you give them all a supplement. All right, now, when, when I first met you uh, almost two years, well, I guess it would have been two years ago now, um, 
you, you know, we, we talked about this and, and I, I got excited about it because one of the challenges we have is that like for somebody like me or, uh, you know, a, a corporate enterprise type employee, uh, they don't necessarily have a way to generate good, clean entropy, that it's just not something that most of us are equipped to be able to handle. And right. it's not like there were really any alternatives out there. You just used what you could and hoped for the best. Uh, but you guys solved that problem. And not only did you do that, but you you just announced your your new product, Net Random Free. And I want to talk about this because it's, it's free, right? So there's really no reason not to try this, where you guys, the, the people at Whitewood Security, are able to generate reliable entropy and we can feed that out via the network to our servers, much like the NTP model that you described, where you, yeah, know, you use a centralized right. time server. Here we can use a centralized uh, well, entropy server or whatever to, to receive that information mm -hmm. so that instead of having dev random block when it runs out of entropy, that it can just be receiving more via the network. Now, how, how did you guys accomplish that? Um, well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two, I guess there's really three different different problems to solve. First is, you know, how do you make tons and tons of really good entropy, which is not a simple problem to solve. Um, then how do you deliver it over a network in a secure fashion? And then how do you plug it into the OS so that, as you say, you can make dev random work? Um, so we, um, we're actually a technology spin-off from the quantum crypto lab uh, at Los Alamos Labs in New Mexico who had been working on this issue of, of quantum crypto and quantum safe systems. You know, the whole, the whole issue of how you defend against quantum computers is a, is a different topic of, you know, I'd love to talk about that someday. Um, but they managed to use quantum mechanics to generate uh, literally tons and tons, you know, gigabits of, of perfect quantum entropy. So there's, you know, there's lots of ways you can generate randomness. You can use electrical noise you know, coming off a resistor or from a silicon junction, you can create circuits that generate, you know, pseudo random noise, uh, but none of it's perfectly random. And, uh, you know, if you go back to your, uh, back to your high school physics lessons again, and, you know, reread, reread your Einstein notes, then uh, you know, quantum mechanics is the only source of provable randomness in the universe. It's, you know, it's the basis of, of cosmic radiation and all the rest of it. So we use a light source to generate uh, high speed quantum entropy. Um, and as you say, we deliver it over the network, uh, we encrypt it, obviously, uh, to secure it uh, over the network. And then we have an agent that sits um, in user space in, uh, in, in Linux and, and also in Windows that m literally monitors the entropy pool in Linux. And when it sees that entropy pool go low, it pulls more entropy from our server. And, uh, and as a result, dev random and dev u random essentially become the same thing. DevU random is is seeded so often that it's a true random number source, and Dev random has enough entropy that it never blocks. So the nice thing is that applications don't need to change. You know, an application that's already using Dev random or DevU random just carries on using it. Um, the difference now is that it actually works. Yep, and I've had a chance to try it out myself. It's actually really, really pretty neat. I guess if you you know dork out over things like this like I do. But uh, uh, just to, to give you guys a quick example, I can I can get a machine here set up to, to use it really quick. The uh, the website, if you want to check it out yourself, is is getnetrandom.com, getnetrandom.com. Uh, and if you go there, you can sign up for a free account. It doesn't, doesn't cost you a dime. Uh, you log in, and they give you the ability to download the agent that Richard was talking about. And the agent uh, has the secure tunneling piece and the agent itself that's running to receive this entropy and make it available 
as part of slash dev slash random. So uh, here, let me uh, let me see if I can give us a, a good example here. I'm going to get logged into this machine, and uh, I'll take that same Red Hat machine that I brought up a moment ago, and. You know, on any machine, if you're ever curious, you're on a Linux machine, you want to see how much entropy you've got, uh, you can take a look right at uh, just slash proc, slash sys, slash kernel, slash random, slash entropy underscore avail or available. Uh, and when you take a look in that file, it basically tells you how much entropy is available on the system. And I can see mine's got 2,988. And if I run it again, I'm up to 3139. And you're going to see this fluctuate a bit. And Basically, you have a, a cache available and, and the or a buffer, and the buffer is about 4K in size. So you're never really going to see this break 4,000. And what I've been experiencing on my laptop is usually that it floats around 3,200. You may see lower, you may say higher. Uh, for example, if you're on a uh, CentOS 6 uh, Amazon instance, for example, you, you might have as low as 500 or 300. The number just kind of fluctuates based on what's available. Right. right. So exactly, and maybe even lower than that. And the point, and the point is, it, it changes from minute to minute. Yeah, and, and and that's a great point there too. Is it does frequently change. So let me change this command up a bit. Instead of just catting it, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the watch command, uh, which is one of my favorite ones. Right. So I'm going to watch this file, and I'm going to query it every half a second, uh, and then we'll cat that like that. All right. So we're going to basically run it every five seconds, or I'm sorry, every half a second. And you can see that number changing right there and see how I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much staying over 3000, which is good, uh, a good bit of entropy that's available. But if I start draining that entropy down, we're gonna see some really interesting things happen. So if I move that off to the side here and I'll do something completely impractical to, uh, to impact my entropy, like I will tail slash dev slash random, right? So I'm, I'm just gonna hit it and start pulling the data out of it. When I do that, you'll start to see that entropy number drop. And it, just for a second there, it hit zero, which meant my system ran out of entropy. And I, I can't see it hurt performance here, but it actually would have stopped the tail command while it waited for entropy to build back up and continue to run. That's happening all throughout the day. Your system is constantly using this entropy and it it depletes and it's got to be replenished somehow. Right. And if that was a web server, then, then your customers would be sitting there waiting for connections. Yeah. And, and there have been studies that show if a customer has to wait more than a few seconds, they, they may move on to another site or, or something. And entropy can rege regenerate pretty quick on a physical server, but on a virtual server, that regeneration can take a little bit of time. So that's the, the challenge we've got to overcome, and that's where we can leverage the uh, net random free. And net random free is agent-based. So uh, once you log into the website and create that free account, you can uh, download the agent, which uh, I have already downloaded here in the background. And we can just extract that real quick. And uh, basically it installs really quick. They have a, a deb and an RPM package file. So it works well on Debian, uh, CentOS, Red Hat, uh, who am I leaving out here? Ubuntu, which is pretty popular. Um, Richard, do you guys have the Windows agent out yet? Um, we're gonna, yeah, we're trialing it with folks right now, so we should we should publish it for probably in another couple of weeks. We uh, you have to go through a whole you know, Microsoft signing process, so you don't obviously have to go through with uh, Linux distributions. So it's uh, I think it's with with Microsoft for signing. Okay, excellent. So uh, so definitely look for that one coming out, uh, but. In the server world, I think Linux is really winning the battle there. So a lot of the web servers and the other sensitive entities that are out there is really kind of built upon Linux. So uh, I was glad to see those out first. And 
I've got that agent extracted right here and I, I've got the installer. So now I can jump in and, and get this installed. Um, it's really, really simple, right? First, we just have to install the, the package. So I'm gonna get that installed here with a quick uh, yum command. Uh, if you were on Debian or Ubuntu, you'd be using apt instead, but I'll use yum. And uh, this is gonna be a local install, which I can type and I'll install that RPM. All right, so that one's gonna get installed. Uh, there's not a whole heck of a lot in the way of dependencies on this one that you're not gonna already have. Uh, the, the one that really stands out is S-Tunnel because it needs to build a secure tunnel back to Whitewood. We, we need to encrypt this data in transit, so that's gonna be kind of a, a part of that. So I, I can see it grabbing uh, net random and S-Tunnel right there. Uh, once they're done, I need to drop the configuration in place. And the configuration was included in that file. It's, it's right here, so I'm just gonna move that uh, right to where I need it to go. So I'll sue that as well. Uh, and we're gonna move the configuration for it. And we're just gonna drop it into slash etc slash net random. We'll send that over there. Um, on Ubuntu or Debian, that's all you would need to do. On Red Hat, if you've got SE Linux running, which you, if you've watched my shows, you know that I tell you guys never disable SE Linux. It's a good thing. You definitely want to have it. Uh, so if you've got SE Linux running, uh, it'll actually block the tunnel service from starting because it won't be able to read the config file. So we just need to fix that real quick. So we can do that by restoring the context of that file. I'll do a sudo restorecon-rv slash etc slash net random. And that's just going to make sure that those config files have the right context for SE Linux. And so that's going to get in there and fix that. And after that, we set the service to start up when we reboot. So uh, I'm on a systemd-based system, so I'll use systemctl, and I will enable the netrandomclient.service. Now, that service, which my head is covering up, uh, that service will depend upon the tunnel service. So that's gonna start the tunnel service as well. I, I don't have to go and activate both of those. So I can run that, and now I'm set. All I gotta do is reboot. I, I do have to reboot though because I'm changing the random number generator. So we'll let that one reboot. And when it comes back up, a couple of neat things are gonna happen. Uh, if I go back to the, the Whitewood website here, when you log into NetRandom free, you'll get this screen right here. And you can actually see the amount of entropy that you're generating and streaming per second. And so right now mine is flatlining. And when the system boots up, it's gonna start requesting this whenever it needs it. And you'll be surprised at how much you need it, that your system draws so much entropy that it's gonna be reaching out to, to grab that on a, on a fairly constant basis. So we'll get that just a moment while it reboots. Uh, while we're waiting on that, uh, Richard, tell me a little bit about like what's going on behind the scenes here. So my machine is gonna start reaching out across the internet to you guys, right? And it's a secure tunnel. And then what, what are we talking to on the other end? Well, you're talking to this quantum entropy source, which is a which is a piece of hardware, which is, uh, as I say, was invented at Los Alamos uh, National Labs, and uh, and uh, Whitewood has productized it into a um, you know PCI card, which drops into uh, into our server infrastructure. So we have a pile of these cards um, that can literally generate gigabits per second of, of perfect quantum entropy. So it's a pure entropy source. We're not we ourselves are not using obviously any. You know, pseudo random number generators. This is this is pure hundred percent entropy. And in fact, on the site you can see um, an entropy score. There's um, there's actually a, a draft NIST standard, a new standard for measuring the quality of entropy sources. Believe it or not, um, today there's there's no official standard for measuring this stuff, which is bizarre when you think of 
how many crypto security standards and verification schemes there are. Um, but there's no standard for measuring the quality of an entropy source. Anyway, NIST have, uh, are close apparently to publishing their first standard to do this, and they've published some test tools and some suites to actually go measure the quality. Um, so we use those test suites to, to verify the output of our entropy source, and we actually post the real-time entropy score, if you like, which is out of 100. Uh, I think the last time I checked, it was at 99.5 or 99.6. So essentially perfect entropy. So you can see that on the screen you were looking at a moment ago, as well as your lifetime download um, and your current average download. There you go, you can see it. Yep. And, uh, you know, taking a look at this, I, that, that system finished rebooting. Um, I, I haven't done anything other than log in, right? And you can see that I'm already streaming entropy uh, you know, quite quite a bit here, and this is in kilobytes per second. Uh, it looks like I'm averaging, I don't know, at least three kilobytes per second of entropy that I'm pulling. And if I scroll down a bit here, we'll see some of the the kind of uh, statistical information here. This is the number that Richard was just talking about. We got a 99.5% system entropy score right now on my system. So that's that's a very very high degree of uh, of clean entropy, and. I'm pulling that information just sitting idle on the machine. Now, this is not a, a active production web server. This is literally a, a Red Hat Enterprise server of mine that is just sitting there uh, doing doing darn near nothing. Uh, if I jump over, let me jump over to that actual machine. So here's the, the machine. Um, I, I've logged in, and, and that's it. If I jump back into my terminal, and let's, let's take a look at how things kind of have changed. Uh, one thing that I think is neat is that really not much has changed. It's not like we've replaced the random number generator that we had before. We're replacing the entropy side of it. So if I do the rngd-v that I did at the very beginning of this show, I still see drng, right? I don't see some new random number generator. I see the one that we had before. Uh, it's the entropy source that's different. And when we start to look at things like that, that watch command that I did before, uh, where I was pulling every every half a second what my entropy level was, I can pull that and look at my number. Remember that just sitting idle earlier, I was averaging around 3,200. Now I'm averaging around 3,900. It's 4,000. It's gonna be or 4,094. I think is the max. So I'm I'm much much closer to what my maximum is just sitting here because I've got a a infinitely replenishable source of entropy that I can pull from. And this would be consistent if I did it on 20 virtual machines or 20 physical machines or a mixture of the both. This would be consistent levels that I'm pulling all via the network, all very, very easily. Right. So essentially, yeah, the amount of available entropy is independent of the hardware you're running on, independent of the hypervisor, you know, independent of the OS. So your DevOps people could move the applications around and comfortable that its ability to generate keys is the same, irrespective of where it gets physically instantiated. Um, but I think, you know, your point about we're not changing the random number generator is a really important point. You know, nobody wants to go away and rewrite their applications to talk to a different RNG. That's not that's not, not ever going to happen. So this is this is purely working at the entropy level. And I think it's important, you know, for your, for your listeners and readers to, to to distinguish between random number generator and an entropy source. There, there, there may be dozens of entropy sources for a single random number generator. Um, and we're not even replacing all the existing entropy sources. We're a supplementary source. I mean, it really is like taking a vitamin supplement. You know, this is a, an additional top-up uh, on demand. So you're not you're not even relying from a trust point of view on us. You know, entropy is always additive, uh, and the entropy that you receive over the network from us 
is still added to the entropy you've got native in your system. Uh, so if, essentially you're scrambling whatever we send you. So we don't know what entropy you're actually ever using to generate random numbers and therefore generate your keys. So there's a, there's a whole layer of obfuscation which pre prevents you from having to trust us basically, which I think is an important point. All right, and what I did in the background while you were talking is I started hammering my dev random, right? So I'm I'm just I'm using the tail command, I'm pulling from it, and we see I, I'm I'm really depleting that pool at a pretty rapid rate as this goes, and it's it's kind of neat because if we jump up to our portal, we'll start to see whereas I had fluctuating numbers before, kind of going up and down, now I'm pulling a consistent level of entropy right off of those servers. And Richard, you brought up a good point there, which is what happens if the network goes down, right? If I lose my connection to your servers, I'm not mm -hmm. getting that network entropy anymore. Am I just out of luck? Well, no, I, I still pull my local entropy just like we would before. So you're never, you're never worse off than you were before. You're always better off or at least the same, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And, um, and you, know, and, it, and you actually don't need that much entropy to reseed these pseudo random number generators. You know, when it, when when reseeding becomes critical is when you're when is when you're copying and replicating virtual machines, and you need to reseed these machines quickly, particularly in environments where there's little little native entropy itself. Um, so, in some cases, you could configure the um, the streaming of entropy from us to be very low, just a background, almost like a trickle feed, if you like. Remember, you know, charging your car battery. You know, you could put a trickle charge on the thing. Um, you know, in some cases, you need to restart the vehicle with with big fat chunky jumper jumper cables. You know, and you need a slug of entropy quick to reseed a VM when you instantiate it. So you can configure it either way. All right, now let's uh, let's throw a little wrench into the mix here. Obviously, there's a good deal of trust going on, right? We're reaching out to a server that, that you host, and hey, you're a nice guy. I, I've known you a while now, but how, how do I know I can trust you or trust the other people of the organization? Or maybe it's not even you. Our data has to cross the internet, and we've got a, a secure tunnel, but what if that tunnel were to get compromised? There's probably more than one of our viewers out there right now saying, well, I'm not going to use some network source of, of randomness. How can I trust that? So how do we address the needs of somebody where, where this type of entry is just not suitable for their, their high, high security deployment? Um, well, as you say, we go, you know, we go to, 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 to lens to make that connection secure and to authenticate the connection and to, and to verify the integrity of the bits going over the network, because obviously what you're bothered about here, you know, is an attacker substituting their own entropy into the system somehow. Um, but you're right, you, you know, you fundamentally, you know, are, you know, essentially trusting Whitewood to, to do the right thing. Um, although, as I said earlier, it's, it's important to recognize you're still mixing in your own local entropy, so you're not clearly dependent upon Whitewood. Um, at the end of the day, if somebody wants to, to control this themselves, um, then there is an enterprise version of, of GetNetRandom. You know, we call it NetRandom Enterprise, and you can have that physical entropy source and that, and that, and that quantum entropy server um, in your data center supplying your own systems over your own private network. Um, you know, it's it's just a deployment. Now, of course, that's not free, <laughs> um, but um, but this but the, the the concept is the same. Um, you know, you pay the money, you get to control your own source, and you get some other um, added benefits. You get to uh, a, you know a more granular approach to, uh, to to management. You can not just see how much you're pulling in total, but you can see how uh, individual endpoints and or groups of endpoints are pulling data you might want to track for example entropy consumption you know in your payment system versus your e-commerce system versus your 
you know, I don't know, your, your HR records department or something. So you might want to track it um, from an organizational point of view. You can control access uh, from a user management perspective. So there's a there's a there's the usual collection of, of of enterprise you know granularity tools that come with the enterprise server. Uh, but the concept is the same, and and the agent is the same. So you know you you could have um, agents that pull from you know either an external source or an internal source or both. Yep, and, and if you were to jump over, as the viewer, if you were to jump over to uh, whitewoodsecurity.com, uh, or I think it's actually linked from getnetrandom.com also, the, uh, yeah, learn about net random enterprise. Uh, what you're effectively yeah. doing is standing up the same type of server that they're hosting for the, uh, the net random free. And you'd basically have a server with a PCI card, like Richard mentioned earlier, and they've got a picture of that right here. You can kind of get an idea of what it, it looks like, uh, and, you know, looks only conveys so much but uh, but it's a PCI card and it's it's what's generating that light source to be able to to generate the truly clean entropy or you know the, the random entropy that we need uh, to serve as that source for generating our random numbers so you would control that entire entity and you could have a network that wasn't even internet connected completely private completely isolated fully within your control and now you're able to leverage this resource. And again, if this server were to fail, you still have your own local data that's generating it, but now you're not dependent on some external source. So it's a great way to set that up, and it's really no different than having your own internal NTP server or you know, DNS servers for that matter or whatever. Uh, it's really a, a neat solution, and it it scales well from, from being the free product that anybody can take advantage of today all the way up to the high security product that is uh, really unmatched. I can't think of a, a competitor that even comes close to, to something like this. And of course, you can be streaming entropy out to your cloud instances as well. This is, uh, you know, we've talked about delivering entropy into your own data center instances, but of course, you know, the, the, you can effectively reverse the model rather than delivering entropy from our cloud into your data center. You can have an entropy server in your data center delivering entropy to your Amazon instances. So the thing works in reverse, essentially, as well. So what so you're think, saying is, you know, uh, again, the, oh. the NTP example is a good one. You know, you can use public NTP services or you can buy your own NTP server. Just, so I, just I need to go ahead and get one of these cards. That way, you know, you, you guys have uh, net random free. I can create net random not so free, maybe charge a dollar and <laughs> people connect in. Well, I think that's a good point. You know, if you're a service provider, if you're a hosting company, um, there's, no, there's no reason why you couldn't offer um, entropy as a service to your own tenants within your own environment. You know, this, if, if you know if you're a if you're a Rackspace or a uh, cloud provider, then you know this is a a revenue opportunity. I mean, where this is an early, you know this is a new market. This uh, people are not generally aware of this issue. Um, we took the decision to make it free just to uh, help people get up the curve and to give people something to play with. But uh, you know, down the road, um, I think that entropy services in data centers will be. Uh, almost like utilities, you know, I think um, in the same way we think about electricity and air conditioning, you know, people we will expect entropy services to exist in, at least in high security data centers. All right, Richard, well, I think at this point we've got a, a really good idea of, of what the problem is and, and how your product solves it. Uh, you've got a free version. There's really no reason for you guys out there to, to jump out and, and test it out. It is it's actually a lot of fun for, for whatever reason. Uh, go to getnetrandom.com, uh, create a free account, try it out. You, you'll be entertained, at least for a few moments, if nothing else. But I think we can all see how this would be really useful out there in the workplace and, and, and really resolve a, uh, an issue that is, I think, being under-addressed right now, that a lot of people 
uh, are just relying on the operating system vendors to solve the problem. And the OS vendors are doing what they can, but they're limited because they don't necessarily know the hardware they're going to be running on. And the hardware vendors don't know if the operating systems are going to take advantage of it. So this is a chance for us to step in and solve the problem. And it's, it's pretty painless. You know, I, I activated a machine here on the show. It took just a couple of minutes and, and you're done. I, the reboot was the most painful part and that only took a few moments. So uh, you know, once that's done, you're in business. So uh, Richard, yeah, that's did right. you have I any... Think, oh, good. I think, I think the, you know, what I'd say is you're essentially inoculating your machines from making weak keys, you know, which at the end of the day is something that every, I think every security officer wants to, wants to believe they have. You know, I read an article a while back and I don't have it handy, so I can't reference it, but uh, it was talking about how some systems generate SSH keys before their random number generators are fully initialized. And so they can generate poor SSH keys. And it's it's a, a symptom of that same problem that a lot of that is out there. The systems generate weak keys and we don't necessarily know that it happens because you can't tell, you can't prove randomness. So uh, this helps us to have one less thing to worry about. Uh, Richard, do you have anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, this, I think this is an, this is an issue. As you say, people take it for granted. Um, I think it's a fascinating subject. You know, the, the philosophy of randomness is pretty cool. Um, the, sort of the, the, the relationship to quantum mechanics is pretty cool. Um, you know, this is not, this is not meant to be the most exciting thing. This is meant to be a background service in a data center. You know, this is, this is not meant to take over someone's life. It's meant to uh, deal with one of those niggly little issues that, you know, most people, you know, would sooner forget about um, and hopefully give people time to go focus on, uh, you know, on, the, on the, the big security threats that are out there that, uh, you know, are much harder to control, you know, the stuff that involves people. <laughs> yeah, well, I know uh, it's not supposed to be the most exciting, but I, I for whatever reason, find it really exciting. I, I enjoy it, and, and I think you guys will too, so be sure to check it out. But I think that's going to be a wrap for our show. Richard, thank you for spending time with us. I know I appreciate it. I know our viewers do too. And for those of you out there in TV land, we appreciate you watching. Be sure to tune back in for more episodes of the IT Pro TV podcast. But for now, signing off, I'm Don Pizzette, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.